0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz on the phone lines with me. You can check out all of our stories. It's that time of year, the michiganinsider.com, michigan.247sports.com. Between myself and Josh Henschke and Josh Newkirk with some of the frontline coverage from press conferences, Steve and Sam are able to, to drop tidbits and and plenty more uh, to to come. Lots of fall camp coverage, and we we always try to be your one stop shop. So check it all out there. Uh, we write a lot more than we podcast, but hopefully you enjoy the podcast too. We got a good show today. We're gonna do eight questions as fall camp begins. So we were gonna we were thinking about doing one before fall camp started with the questions, but it kind of felt. I wanted to hear a little bit personally. Uh, I don't know. I don't speak for Steve on that, but it was really good to, to hear Josh Gaddis and Don Brown's thoughts. Uh, added a lot of context and, and a little bit of clarity into some of what some of the actual biggest questions are uh, versus the ones that you think are questions, and then they answer it pretty easily. So let's get started. We'll talk. We'll cover a number of different position groups, different storylines. Uh, first one. Probably the the one with the least answer because there is no no incumbent, no sure certain thing. Uh, but does Michigan have a star running back this season for context. Josh Gaddis said yesterday he has five guys that he believes in. True Wilson, Zach Charbonnet, Christian Turner, Hassan Haskins, Ben Van Sumerin, Summerin. And even he's, he's only had five practices, uh, but he feel, he called it the deepest position group he has on his offense. I am a little skeptical, but he said what he said. And so Steve, looking at this this running back position battle, it's it's different than the other position battles because really none of these guys, and I'll I'll, I'll note that True Wilson did play last year. But he only had, uh, I believe, 13 carries in the first half of games. He was a lot of his yards came in the in the late quarters, fourth quarter of blowout wins. Not to discredit what he's done, but 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 you know, whereas tight end or right tackle or linebacker, you have players who have played and started. There is no, there is not a lot of certainty at running back. It is all new faces. Um, so I guess, what do you make of Gaddis's comments? And then, and then do you think, do you think a star can emerge at running back? Or is this a year where maybe someone like Zach Charbonnet isn't quite reaching his ceiling just yet? And, and some of the, well, they don't really have a lot of veterans. True Wilson's the only one that's been through more than a year of school. Uh, is this maybe a, a rebuilding in between year for the running back position?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm skeptical of the comment. Could be just a design comment to maybe try to take some pressure off of some of these guys, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, there's no way you're telling me that running back is deeper than the offensive line.
0: Right, and the receivers. Or, quarter, or, or, I mean,
1: or quarterback. I mean, you could almost go down, like, you know, whether or not, like, some of these guys, <laughs> like, a guy like Hassan, maybe a guy like Hassan Haskins, you know, has is, is a guy, you know, and we just haven't seen it yet, but... As far as proof production on the field, I mean it's definitely on the. It would be on the lower end depth chart, depth wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been, you know, we've written I don't know how much about Charbonnet at this point. I almost feel like maybe too much uh, to where the expectations of maybe. I think there's almost an assumption that he's going to, you know, come walk right in and, and be a, a high impact player. He very well could be. I mean, again, all the reports have been strong. We just don't know yet. Uh, we haven't seen it. This is his first practice. These are his first practices. I mean, he, everyone knows he didn't right. practice in the spring. So, <clears throat> you know, but at the same time, I think Christian Turner just remains, like, one of the more slept-on players on the entire roster.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: and um, you, know, you talk about where it's going to be, or it should be, and I think it will be with Gaddis. with what Gaddis likes to do, it's going to be a lot of pass to set up the run this year and not be not, you know, vice versa like it usually has been. Uh, under Harbaugh. And part of that's because they just are loaded at receiver and have a, you know, finally have a returning quarterback who can play at a high level. You know, but a lot of that also is because, you know, I think a, the running back core as a whole is still a little green from top to bottom. You know, yeah, Wilson played, he got a lot of snaps, but yeah, I mean, not a lot of crunch time, bell cow type snaps. Uh, Turner got his feet wet in the exhibition game against Florida at the end of the year <laughs> last year. And, uh, you know, with again, but Charbonnet just kind of remains the wild card in that regard. You know, it's like he could be a guy that walks in and, and does make a big impact. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that there's some belief, maybe similar to the way we've been talking about Daxton Hill as far as will Hill be the starter right off the bat? No, probably not. But you get into like late September, early October, and there's, you know, that's kind of the sense that there's a chance that that's maybe when he would take over. Hmm. And uh, I think you could say that could be the same thing about Charbonnet. Uh, But again, I I say that after just getting done saying that I think people are sleeping on Christian Turner too. So I don't, I I guess I'd say it like this. I don't think the position is dire as what many fans kind of see it as, but Mm -hmm. I do disagree. I, I mean, it's hard not to disagree when you, to say that they're
0: the deepest. Yeah, yeah, that's on the offense. It's just
1: really hard to. You're bringing back four all Big Ten, linemen up front.
0: <laughs> you know, it's
1: like <laughs> kind of hard to buy that they're the deepest unit in the in the in the film room on the offensive side of the ball.
0: Yeah, I mean, unless he's being real technical about it and saying, well, they have five sure. strings, whereas there are not five strings of receivers, and there's no fifth string offensive lineman and there's right. no fifth-string but that's, like...
1: That'd be kind of lame, if yeah, that's what he saying. But, like I said, could be just coach speak to maybe take some, some of the pressure off of these guys, mm-hmm.
0: you know? Well, uh, and he's not going to say, yeah, it's I mean, he's fine. <laughs> this will come up a couple times in this podcast, because I had this I had this argument earlier on in the, in the on the radio today, and it's, like, the coaches, like, everyone kind of gets mad when they're positive, and they're like, oh, he's just saying that to say it. Try to see it from the coach's point of view. First of all, he's going to be. Most human beings are optimistic people. Uh, most coaches believe in their team. You know, very, very few times, even if you get a guy off the record, are they going to say, "No, the running backs position is is screwed." You know, like they're going to, they're going to, in their head, they're going to try to find a way, and and then publicly, they're obviously going to believe. I mean five days into practice this is the time to be really optimistic because you're still trying to get the most out of everybody and so um, yeah he's going to try to boost the confidence of this group because they all have social media they all have eyeballs and read and, and ears and hear the the talk about the, the running backs is that, a, is that a concern I mean that was literally the first question of our you know this podcast and so we, as a coach it's your job to counter that a little bit and and try to boost some excitement. I do think I'm with you though. You know, kind of re-watching Hassan Haskins' film. Uh, I don't remember why I did that, but I did. And you know, saw Charbonnet's film. I believe um, Barton Simmons pointed out his hundred meter dash time was one one hundredth of a second slower than Saquon Barkley's in high school. Right. And and so he's got really good long speed. Uh, he's a bigger back, but. Um, Alabama had bigger backs and and did all right, including a couple from the California from this not maybe not the exact same league, but a similar level of competition.
1: Oh, he played. California. No, he played very high level competition. Oh,
0: Charbonnet yeah, did. did. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah My um, league, he was.
1: Sorry, I was just gonna. know, can I just like they don't need like a superstar at, at running back this year. I don't feel like right. I mean, you don't have. I mean, of course, you'll take one. Sure. Yeah. But I don't think it's like this you know like again with with such a with a returning so much returning experience up front and at quarterback i, I think you just you need a de- i think you need a dependable guy that can make some big plays you know what i mean though like i don't mm-hmm. think it's like um you know i just don't think there's going to be this like huge lean on one guy you know no. i think i don't know I don't know. It's just I, I just I don't know. I feel differently about running back this year. I think than a lot of people do.
0: So. Yeah. Well, and it's it's this is not the perfect comparison, but I mean the only the only two positions that get paid less in the NFL than running back are long snapper and punter. Like even kickers average higher salaries than the running backs, and the reason is, and I don't mean this as a slight to anybody, they're replaceable. It's a it's a position where the marginal value of a superstar versus a good running back is not as great as as a left tackle or a a middle linebacker or a defensive end or obviously quarterback. And so it's, I don't, and again, that doesn't mean (laughs) I'm not calling these guys replaceable in a, 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 I'm just, I'm saying that what Hassan Haskins can do versus what maybe Christian Turner can do. Versus what Karan Higdon could do is not necessarily the vast gap that, say, Ben Bredesen will leave once he departs. So hopefully that made sense to the listeners. Um, yeah, I don't, it's, and, and they have so many other offensive pieces. We'll talk about them. Yeah, they'll be, I don't think the offense is doomed if they don't have a star running back. And I think that might have been true in past seasons under Harbaugh that's, that's at what Michigan. I'm, and that's,
1: what I'm, that's pretty much what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, if you get one, great. You'll, again, you'll take it all day. But if you, you know, as long as you're, you know, you're getting production and you're not turning the ball over as a position, then I think Michigan will be probably happy. And, I again, I think everything is set up for them to find a guy or two who can be productive just because, you know, there should be a decent amount of weapons all over the field for them to make for the, that should allow these running backs at, at the very least time to acclimate themselves and then maybe establish themselves as a, as a more of a force. You
0: know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, have more thoughts, but we got a lot of questions here. Uh, question number two, is defensive line a concern area? And Steve, you and I were talking before the show, uh, we concluded yes and no. So yes, I think, I think even Harbaugh said at big 10 media days uh, that the, the defensive interior, or the defensive pass rush from the interior, there we go, was his biggest concern about the team and how they could improve, which is a very specific thing to say in July. I think that's telling. And and we, I, I don't think I'm totally sold on them having it yet. I know Don Brown talked about how improved Carlo Kemp is. And Juan four is getting healthier. Mazi Smith, Chris Hinton seem to be players who will... Crack the two deep. Uh, you know, Donovan Jeter's the wild card because he shed a lot of weight. He seems to be more on task. I don't. I don't speak for him, but he said that a little bit in the spring that he feels like his his head's on straight and he's, he's more focused now. Um, so that's still a concern. But but Steve, you wanted to make a note that the concerns about the defensive end without Rashawn Gary and, and Devin Bush, two top Seventy-five draft picks. You are not. You think the concerns about the defensive ends are a little overblown?
1: Yeah, and then obviously Winovich too. Um,
0: what did I say? You know,
1: not. You said Devin Bush.
0: Oh, okay. sorry, sorry. Well, Chase still, Winovich, you know, Sean still
1: he still he still <laughs> rushed the edge a little bit. Um, you know, I'm, I'm i I did post this morning. I won't get too specific, but I just I think that a breakout. For Aiden Hutchinson is about as not. I want to. I'll, I'd almost say imminent. I mean, it'd be. I'd be very surprised if he didn't take a huge step forward this season. You know, and and a guy that really has just kind of taken off since the Army game a couple of years ago. Uh, I think have that's we, kind of we always-
0: have we talked about on the podcast how he's being featured in some of Michigan's promotional stuff?
1: No. I don't. But so that, there you go. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a, something I would consider noteworthy.
0: Yeah, like he's in the same – like they had a tweet one time. I think it was like X amount of days until kickoff or maybe he was showing off the jersey or something. It's some, some social media thing. And they had pictures of Ben Bredesen, uh, Shay Patterson, Khalil Hudson, and the fourth person was Aiden Hutchinson. Sure.
1: And yeah. it's not everything,
0: but it's relevant.
1: You know, and, and, you know, I think he's come a long way just this offseason, too. Uh, You know, same thing with Quiddy Pay. I think think seeing the weight gain of Quiddy Pay was one of the most significant things to take away from the new release of the roster.
0: Which you can find a very thorough breakdown of (laughs) over at 24-7 Sports. Yeah, because he was someone, wasn't he like 219 as a recruit? And they were always trying to get him in that 270 window. Yep.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's pretty much there. Uh, you know, I think the two with him and Uche are both guys that I'm convinced that, you know, when they started to show it in flashes a little bit last year, guys who still hadn't, haven't gotten there yet, which is good. A good, that's good if you're Michigan, right? And I think that this would be the year for both of those guys to maybe get there, you know, and that's where I kind of think you throw in Hutchinson. You throw in Mike Dana too, who again I think Michigan fans gunshy about the whole grad transfer deal just because of the last couple guys they've had that they, they've brought in haven't done anything. Um,
0: well and the history even before. I mean there is sure, not a long sure. history of grad transfers.
1: Right. I think his impact would be closer to Rudock than it would be like a Casey Hughes. You know, which is funny, we got I remember like got crap about hyping up Casey Hughes and I don't ever remember hyping up Casey Hughes at all. I think the biggest question with him was we were trying to figure out if they were going to play him at corner or play him at safety last year. That was really the only otherwise there was, you know, very limited amount of even discussion about him. I think we've talked more about Mike Dana already than we ever talked about Casey Hughes.
0: Arba did too.
1: Right. And so, you know, he's another guy. So, they got four four edge guys right there alone who, you know, are definitely going to play, and I think all can make an impact in a different, like, capacity and in different different ways, different styles, you know? And, and then that's not even throwing in Luigi Villain, who I saw what Don Brown said about him yesterday. Kind of makes me think that he's still got a little bit to go mm-hmm. uh, to get where they want him to be, which is expected. That's the other thing, too. Like, he hasn't, this is really his first, real shot. I mean, he hasn't been 100%. So. Right.
0: No, I mean, and then never, Brown was knocking yeah. on wood just, like, glad he was healthy. Because that's step right, one. Right, exactly.
1: Yeah. exactly. So, not as concerned about the edge. And that's, you know, who knows? I mean, maybe you get a a Taylor Upshaw or a Julius off that, you know, take has a big a big fall camp.
0: Welchhoff you know, added I mean, some weight, too.
1: Yeah, and you can see some super guys. He's, I, I had posted, this was a while ago, so I don't mind talking about it, but he was the In that group, you know, the two guys that we've talked a lot about as being maybe a year away, but in a good way, were Ryan Hayes uh, up front on the offensive line and then Michael Barrett at linebacker. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think Welshoff is in that camp too, as far as like a guy that the staff is really, really excited about, but maybe just needs one more year Hmm. of development. And, you know, because you got to remember, I mean, coming from Germany, you know, I don't think he had proper coaching or, uh,
0: you know, he was always a year three. That was, yeah, that exactly. Was much
1: like much like Uche, you know, just in a different way. I think, you know, because that's why Uche was a second or third year guy the whole way. I mean, it was never a doubt about it. And uh, so yeah, so I, I agree on the interior. I think just I think that's just the the most dire spot as far as like somebody there. Somebody needs to break out. Whether that's whether Hinton can come in and make a big impact right away, or yeah, or G, you talk about Jeter. You know, I think Dwem Porter's kind of been there. It's just he's got to stay 100%. And then I've always been a big Carlo Kemp guy. I think people probably know that by now. I think he's going to have a good a good year, you know, and, and I think he's gotten better. But I do think that it's a spot where they are look, going to be looking for a breakout for sure. Mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. With Kemp, I, I, he's very reliable, and I think he's consistent. His You don't always want to look at the box score, but he only had 17 tackles last year and had 12 starts, that's that's probably a little lower than what you want from someone in that role. Uh, I think he had, what, two and a half tackles for loss. Again, you know, it's numbers. If Chase Winovich gets there first and gets the sack, then I guess it doesn't really matter. But um, curious, to see, curious to see what they do. I'm with you on Dana. We talked about it before the show. Unlike Casey Hughes, this is someone who had an NFL future. And probably could have gone pro had he stayed at central Michigan Instead, he chose so. to come to Michigan and Michigan <laughs> chose to take him. I think that there's, I think that there's, there's a high likelihood he'll be in the two deep, uh, and, okay. and make an impact. Uh, third question.
1: Here's the real quick about Dan. This is the thing that people got to remember. I know there's the one thing I think our couple of the same negative Nancy's on our board. Uh, <laughs> Mentioned how he really struggled against Michigan State last year, and they were like the best team. At best. Yeah, but that's because he's the entire focus of their defense. Mm-hmm. You know, and like right. at Michigan, that's not going to be the case in any game. You know, he's not unless he, you know, unless he comes out and is a star. Now, I don't expect that necessarily, but he's not going to draw the same kind of attention he would have if he was playing for Central. I mean, it's just a fact. You know, and that's that's one reason, another reason why I think you know, he can he may be able to produce consistently because he's not gonna have to be the center of attention defensively, you know, up front for uh, opposing offensive linemen and and running backs or whoever's trying to block him.
0: Yeah. And just just for those listening who are ready to to pounce, if he is not a star, none of us are predicting starter or all big ten or five sacks. Yeah. deep
1: with some production.
0: I think he's in the mix. All right, this question She'll be a little bit quicker, but just want to provide updates on Sean McCune and Khaliq Hudson. I've grouped them together because they both had great sophomore seasons, and then they did not have great junior seasons. and And they'll even admit it. Their teammates, I know Jordan Glasgow, uh, seemed almost a little mad at me when I asked him about a redemption year for Klee Hudson, but it kind of is, you know. And it's it's not just for their NFL futures, but also maybe for their how they'll be remem- remembered at Michigan. Uh, Hudson, not so much, but Sean McCune got a lot of grief last year. Fans do not like him. Uh, and so, but at the same time...
1: Well, I the vocal minority does not. I don't think the majority... You know, I think most people are reasonable.
0: Yeah, yeah. It feels like a little... Oh, well. I, I yeah, know. Yeah. I know what you're saying. Yeah. But. The, the, it's the same people, but it's... Um, regardless, a lot of people are down on on these two or if not down skeptical but it was interesting hearing josh gaddis say that this spring mccune was the second in one of the top two offensive players probably a good follow-up that i could have asked would have been who's number one that is a mistake now that i'm realizing it uh and 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 cleek hudson he was he was brought to big 10 media days and i think I think he, he talked about how he changed his approach to tackling. He talked about how motivated he is. And and though Jordan did not like me asking about a redemption year, he did have a lot to say about how mature Kaleek Hudson has become. Uh, so it's it's interesting. I think I think they're both in for bounce-back years. I don't know if Kalik's ever going to – I mean, very few players, period, are going to get a statistical season like, like that, 18.5 tackles for loss, nine pass breakups, four forced turnovers – uh, what seventy-eight tackles? That's going off memory, but I could easily see him being a double-digit tackle for lost player, and I could and and we'll talk about ball distribution a little bit, but McCune seems like somebody who could uh factor into this offense more than maybe some fans think.
1: I mean, you know, we talked about it a little bit before we got on, but just there's a lot of people out there, players who could benefit. From the attention that the receivers are, are almost assuredly going to get, right? McCune, Eubanks, um, some of the backs in the passing game too. If they decide to go that route, Ronnie Bell. You know, I think uh, you have the bigger, the big three guys that at receiver are going to attract, and you know, we continue to hear awesome things about what Nico Collins is doing. So, you know, I think the opportunities are going to be there for those guys at tight end and McCune's a guy's always been just absolutely loved by this coaching staff because he, when he showed up, he was an early enrollee showed up and was immediately one of the hardest workers on the team. And it's been that way since ever since then too, you know, and I know these guys, they read and they watch. I mean, they, if they do, I would, I mean, it's hard not to, you know, and I think just a, for some guys, it's a matter of channeling that into sort of a positive energy, I guess. I'm not trying to get all weird, but, you know, it's like using all that stuff in the right way. Mm-hmm. And uh, I get the sense that he's a guy that knows how to use that motivate that stuff to motivate him properly. You know, so really, again, for him, I think it's going to be just taking advantage of the opportunities. Because, again, it's just hard not to see him having many. Like, I think he's going to be a guy who's going to have – a lot of opportunities in the passing game. I mean, it's just, it's hard to imagine he wouldn't. So that's what I really think it comes down to for him, you know, and mm-hmm. and I'm not surprised, again, it does not surprise me at all to hear that from Gaddis because again, he is a guy every season, every spring camp, fall camp, always the guy that's mentioned, you know, and I just think it's, it's for him. I think it's more about kind of putting it back together on the field, you know, for his last season.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think one thing to keep in mind is when they're installing a new offense, they need personal opinion. Sean McCune is one of the smartest players I have interviewed. Um, I don't need a I don't know what the ranking would be, but he's he's very smart. He comes off very very intelligent and thoughtful when we talk to him, and I could totally see him being the type that maybe picks up some of the tendencies or the keys or the traits in the spring, whereas some players might need. Especially if they're hurt, and you got to remember they were missing a lot of offensive players in the spring too. But I, I could totally see a scenario where his work ethic, his intelligence, athleticism, um, experience lead him to to be an early favorite under the Gaddis regime. Anyway, question four: Where do the freshmen fit in? Uh, we'll do. We'll keep this one relatively quick. But looking at some of the true freshmen. I know. I know. Josh Gaddis singled out Cornelius Johnson. Not surprised to hear that. Uh, I, I feel like he is similar to Tariq Black, where he he's super smart. Comes, from, he had a 1480 on the SAT. Uh, comes from a great prep school. Um, you know, is the kind of player technically sound that can make an impact early. So not surprised to hear him. Obviously Charbonnet. Little surprised. Maybe I'll get your thoughts on this. They seem to be keeping a very low profile on Daxton Hill. Uh, Harbaugh and Don Brown were both very cautious uh, to to put him, to anoint him of anything yet. Uh, I know Brown said it was Woods, Hawkins, Metellus, and then a bunch of other guys. So then someone had to specifically ask about Daxton Hill. Uh, doing the bridge program, still acclimating to balancing football and school. Um. But there are some other freshmen that I do think will play. Mozzie Smith, seemed, I, th- I think he's got to be in that top three or four. Uh, so, Steve, I, I, you know, we, don't have to, we don't probably don't have time to go through every player. But how many players do you anticipate maybe losing their red shirt? Because last year was only three. I feel like it could be a little bit higher this year, um, even just a few practices in, uh, just because they've got some guys that they feel can make an instant impact.
1: Yeah, I think it'll be higher. <clears throat> yeah, Cornelius Johnson, man. I think we talked. I think I mentioned him. We did a video on him with of the um, in the podcast when we broke down the class. I said he was a guy that I think people were sleeping on way too much. Mm-hmm. Not a surprise to hear that he's excelling. There's a there's a few wild card type guys like does Giles Jackson come in and look like Sainer still, you know, like can they keep both those guys off the field? Um. Zach Carpenter, we've heard a lot of great things about him up front on the offensive line. Eric All, another one. I think All is a guy who could burn his red shirt for sure.
0: Sounds um, like it, right? Yeah, I yeah. think
1: I th- I, he's a guy. I know he's a little uh, not undersized, but he's not. quite. I don't think he's quite your put put the hand down type. I think for tight end, a, yeah, yeah, much yeah. more of a receiving threat than a than a blocking threat at this point. Just got to put on more weight. Not afraid of contact. I mean, he played a wing T. Uh, Played a wing T offense at at Fairfield High School in Ohio, but had, you know, just the college game isn't quite big enough yet to do that. Uh, But again, a guy that I think has already been met, we've already mentioned him as, you know, we've heard that he has some of the best hands on the team. So otherwise, the usual suspects. Yeah, I mean, even if they're being coy about Daxon Hill, you know he's going to play. He's just too Mm -hmm. talented. No,
0: he will not redshirt. No.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Hinton, you know, another guy I think is a safe bet at this point. Reminds me of Aiden Hutchinson in that. <clears throat> had a huge Army game, you know, built the momentum back up, got that fifth star back, and is coming to camp. Uh he the you know, least and, and talked
0: about five-star, that Michigan yeah, career it, that it, you've it, covered?
1: It, um, no, uh, I don't know. Actually, that's a good question, maybe. I mean, we've talked a lot about him, but I actually get what you're saying as far as me. we probably haven't talked about him enough mm-hmm. as like a potential instant impact guy. I think one of the biggest things, though, a lot of interior linemen are kind of few and far between so far as, like, instant impact.
0: Yes, there's that is so very true. There's only so many
1: Ed yeah. Oliver, Dexter Lawrence-type guys out there, you know? Um, yeah. But otherwise, I think, yeah, the rest are... You know, I think they're going to try to preserve as many of the offensive line redshirts as they can because there's really not a lot of reason to burn them. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the bigger question is, you know, there are, there are a few wild-card-type guys. Uh, David Ojabo, does he you know, does he take another step? I
0: mean, we already had a good spring, um, you know, but I'll go DJ Turner. Yeah. You know, like yeah. Cole, that'd be a guy. That's a guy right? I'm thinking might just yeah. I, the, he, hearing how Zordich talks about him. Sounds like someone he wants to get on the field pretty soon.
1: He was a, he was a top, top target. Again, nobody wanted to hear that because he's not a four or five star guy, but he was a guy they loved the entire time. Uh, hmm. Number one target for them for sure. So, not so that I, that's he's a guy, I guess I'd kind of keep an eye on as well, uh, depending on, again, this is his first camp. So, and they just put the pads on. So give it like a week or two more and we maybe we'll hear more about him and, and see if he's maybe made a move or, or taking some steps forward. But right. otherwise it's usual, the usual suspects. I mean, the, the rosters finally in a spot where there are a lot of positions you don't have to press, right. You know, especially at, especially up front on the offensive line. I mean, they're finally set don't feel like they have to push too hard at receiver right now either unless somebody gets hurt. But even then, I just don't think there's like a massive push anyway, at least on the outside. That's why I'm talking about Johnson. I mean, even if he has a great fall camp, maybe Michigan tries to preserve that one given that, you know, if if two or three of their big, big dogs have big years, they may leave. And you don't want to expend a – You know, burn a red shirt for a true freshman who, all of a sudden, you're gonna is going to play a really big role next year. You know, so we'll see. But yeah, I think it's the the usual suspects, kind of the same guys we talked about.
0: Yeah, I'm curious to see how Michigan philosophically approaches the red shirts too, because I can't remember if it was Harbaugh or Beeline that made this point, but if you got a guy that's still around after five years, they probably want to go play somewhere else. In that meaning that if they have not gone pro already after four years or forced you to burn the red shirt, then they might not be starting for a top 10 caliber team. Now, the exception, of course, is offensive line. Uh, I think there are exceptions, you know, like an Uche type who wasn't ready until year three or, or, or a Donovan Jeter type who had an injury. But I feel like anyone who's healthy and can make an impact I'm curious to see how Michigan does it. Because last year they hung on to a lot of red shirts. But in previous years, even 2016, when it felt like, well, I guess that was an exceptional year because there was so much experience they wanted guys to get ready. But it'll be interesting because the four-game rule, I mean, how many games does Michigan play this year that are not obvious blowouts? Wisconsin, Iowa, Army, Michigan State, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Penn State. That at Maryland is not an obvious blowout. Plus, you have the travel squad issue there. So that really only leaves like four games that they would play, anyways. Right. So I yeah I think I think you're right that they'll it, it'll be one of those things where if it's not garbage time playing, they'll probably just say oh might as well have the red shirt just in case. Uh, the ones I had in my two deep when I did the project, projected depth chart were Charbonnet. I think all was not in the two deep, but he was in the rotation, quote unquote. Uh, Mozzie Smith, Chris Hinton, and then Daxon Hill. I think that was it as far as two deep guys. Um, so that's, that's kind of what we're thinking there. Uh, question five who gets the ball?
1: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state
0: law. I asked this of Josh Gaddis yesterday. Didn't didn't quite get a great answer, but I was trying to figure out how they want to juggle um, all these different playmakers. I mean, we talked about the the tight ends seem pretty deep. The receivers seem pretty deep running back. They have guys who can catch the ball out of the backfield. Charbonnet stands out to me the most, but I don't think others are that far behind. Uh, how, do you, how do you go about juggling who gets the ball? Josh Gaddis's answer kind of reminded me of like the monorail episode of The Simpsons where he's like, this system is designed so that everyone gets the ball, and it all balances out. And I was like, well, mathematically, I'm not sure what that entails. Regardless, it is an interesting question, uh, I mean, who, how are they going to distribute it? How do they How do they keep everyone happy? And then also one thing, and I was reading up on Joe Moorhead this summer and about how he's not a big believer in rotating receivers. He likes to have the same personnel uh, so that guys don't become predictable. People don't say, oh, Eddie McDoom's in the game. There's probably an end-around coming. Or Ronnie Bell's in the game. There's probably an end-around coming. So he doesn't necessarily want guys to be specialized, and I, I imagine – Gaddis, and the way he talked yesterday, he said he doesn't want he doesn't want anyone to have labels. He wants everyone to be kind of positionless, almost in in the skill position place. And so, yeah, um, I don't know, I don't know how they divide the balls, uh, or the divide the targets or the throws. Obviously, Peoples Jones is someone that you got to get the ball to. I think, I think Tariq Black, if he makes the full return, uh, Nico Collins, Sean McCune... But should they be rotate I mean, you know, you, you touched on it earlier on in the show. Knowing that McCune and possibly all three receivers could be gone after this year, should they make an effort to rotate a little bit more and try to get guys the ball more? What how would you approach it, Steve, if you were if you were in charge of this of this offense?
1: I mean, I don't you don't rotate for the sake of rotating, right? I mean, but mm-hmm. if you have guys that are talented enough who can make plays and give the defense enough different looks then why wouldn't you because I like I agree as far as like you know the end-around stuff which looking back I mean yeah I mean it was just it got to a point where
0: are the jabril peppers
1: yeah <laughs> move, you know how we play, know, I think yeah. we talked about how they really could have used him in so many different ways than they did offensively you know and, and uh so I think you know if you have a core of guys who are good enough to rotate in and out where, yeah, where you're not by without sacrificing predictability or unpredictability or whatever you want to say it, then by all means. And I think that there's some possibility there. You know, we talk about Sainer still, who you didn't mention, you know, and, sure. and, uh, yeah. U, U Banks as another guy, you know? So, I mean, as far as how the you know, to me, I mean, it should, the answer should be simple. It's like, as far as like, how do you distribute it? throw the ball to the open guy, right. <laughs> you know? And I know that's like a very, like, and it's not, I don't mean that like condescendingly at all. It's just, that's what it should be. And if there are multiple guys open on multiple plays, then, I mean, I, I don't know, like that's where like, if you're a, a current player on the team, don't you kind of at the end of the day, maybe have to put ego aside a little bit for the sake of the benefit of the team. I mean, it's not as if, you know, I think things have changed enough now at least as far as how the pros successfully identify people, where is whether a guy like Nico Collins has 40 catches or 70 catches, you know, that I don't think it's going to significantly like alter his potential draft stock. Right. I mean, there's just the the film breakdown, you know, it's like if their, if their offense is just turns into a well-oiled machine and there are guys open all over the field, You're not going to throw it to the same guy every time, I would imagine, depending Mm -hmm. on a lot of variable factors. But, you know, I I just – you just got to try to get it to whoever's open, I suppose. I mean, that's just the only really way I can answer that one. Um, But but the bigger thing to me is just you don't rotate for the sake of rotating. You know, so I agree with Moorhead's philosophy. If they didn't have six receivers who were ready, well, then you don't play four, five, and six. You know, but if you do, if you have five that could that you are you believe are capable of playing and capable of giving a defense different looks, and I think in that case, I think you do want to play them
0: because mm-hmm.
1: then you can get one, two, and three, maybe some rest, have them in full force in the fourth quarter if you're playing in a big game. Or well, because the
0: game. because Clemson rotates their receivers. I, I I don't remember who wrote it. I'm sorry to, to whoever did, but but they wrote an article about how Clemson would have designated receivers and and when it was time to rotate they would have them run go routes to tire out the yep. cornerback and then they would yep. just swap them out put a new guy in so there is smart. some benefit to it
1: That's really smart though mm-hmm. I mean if you have a guy that can make you know increase the chances of tiring out the defense then by all means do it you know so no, I don't know. I, you know, it's it's, it's like, what do you mean? Do you get, you know, break it up into percentages to each guy? Like you can't do that. Like you just, right. you know, whoever, if if one guy establishes himself as a good enough player and is drawing more attention from the defense, then that means that other guys are going to have ample opportunities, and that those are the guys that are probably going to reap some of the more of the benefit production wise. I mean, that's just the way the game is played. It's always been played that way. Mm-hmm. You know, you got a great defensive end, you double team him what does that mean? That means the guy on the other edge is going to have a lot of one-on-one opportunities, you know. And so it's just that it'll be that push and pull type deal, you know. And it, I mean, it, it, I'm interested to see how it, you know, at the end of the year, how many, who's got how many receptions, and how it kind of goes. But I don't really think there's any way you can predict mm-hmm. how how exactly that's going to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. That's basically what he said. He said our scheme is designed to get the ball to the open guy who can make plays. Okay. Sometimes, sometimes it's just so simple that it that it works out that way. Anyways, next question: Are the Wolverines crunched for cornerback? So obviously, Michigan really likes Lavert Hill. I uh, I think our podcast was the first one to pump up Vincent Gray, but everyone else has caught on too. He's projected to to be a starter. Jalen Kelly Powell. I know Don Brown mentioned him yesterday as someone who is um, firmly in the two deep. And then Don Brown stopped listing cornerbacks. And this is that time of year where I mean you had you had Josh Gaddis acting like there's a five way battle for the starting running back job, and there's a there's a five way battle for tight end and rece- you know, this is the time of year where you list a lot of people and Brown did it for linebackers. He said he's got the deepest linebackers he felt feels like he ever's had. And and the defensive line, he listed like ten guys that could play. He only listed three cornerbacks. Obviously Ambry Thomas is has a health issue, but is is this a concern that he only listed three? Are they crunched for numbers of playable cornerbacks that they can use?
1: Yeah. That one I'm unsure about because the thing with Brown is he does usually name like everybody. So the fact that he didn't name a few people, I guess, is a little bit a little bit different. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Ambry Thomas getting back is important for Michigan, right. no matter what. You know, and I, the guy that wasn't mentioned, and you, you had said that, that Harbaugh did mention him, though, was Jamon Green is a guy that, you know, we heard really good things about, uh, at the tail end of spring ball and that there was some excitement there. You know, and again, though, they just, they, the pads have been on for two days. <laughs> you know, you mentioned DJ Turner is a guy who Zordage really seems to like too. We have seen true freshmen come in, not, you know, not be going to be one or two, right? but right. somebody you can sprinkle in there and, and get some legitimate snaps. So, like I said, I think, like you had said, I think what we talked about earlier, I think corner is a spot that's quietly where we could see a one or two redshirts burn, depending on mm-hmm. how well both he and Jalen Perry kind of get acclimated or whatever. So right, right. I don't know. I, I do think, uh, I don't think it's as I don't know. I, I keep I feel like I keep saying this and, and people probably think I'm blowing sunshine. I just don't think corner's is as big a concern as what people think it is. You have a stud on one side of the ball, no doubt, right? I mean you have LeBur Hill's one of the best cornerbacks in college football this year on one side of the field. You have Ample, I think Brad Hawkins were buying in on uh as a potential nickel.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Brown building, mentioned that, yeah.
1: Right, right. You know, Daxon Hill's going to come along. Now, I know they're playing him at safety, but, you know, depending on, you know, say, Jumeric Woods keeps it up. Maybe move him down at nickel or even cornerback, depending. And then you talk about D.J. Turner and you talk about green and gray. And, like, the thing about, you know, people have been kind of poo-pooing on Michigan's cornerback recruiting, but, you know, these younger guys like gray, green, who were top targets, that they haven't even really gotten an opportunity to play yet. So it's hard to nitpick you know, there, opportun- A time like this was going to come at some point, where guys who hadn't played a ton were going to have to step in and play, right? So it's, to me, it's like, now this is the time for that. Now we have, now we see what these guys are made of, and then you kind of go from there. So, but again, I wouldn't deny like, you know, Amber getting back and 100% healthy is is paramount because I, mean, he's been a guy I thought was going to really have a big breakout year this year.
0: hmm Yeah, I think. I think they're okay. I mean, there were, uh, Michigan's five days into pra- five practices, and I, I don't think that they are too concerned yet. I think what you might see is at some point it's going to become a little bit more apparent when Ambry Thomas could come back, whether that's week one, after the bye week against Wisconsin, or later on in the season. I don't know. Um, but at some point, Michigan's going to have a better sense. And I think if you, if if Zortage comes out and says, I don't know, Sammy Faustin has moved to corner, he's taking reps there, that's when maybe you start to think, okay, they're feeling a little bit of the crunch. They're feeling a little bit of that numbers pressure. Um, but for now, I don't think it's a big deal. Harbaugh did mention Green, Jamon Green and, and DJ Turner. Little surprise, Brown didn't, but maybe... Maybe there's a reason for it, and so so we'll see. I, I think I think they're they're a little crunched, but it all goes away if Thomas can can make a can make a return, or if someone else has a good week. Some I mean, in life, sometimes people have good weeks, and sometimes they have not as good weeks. Uh, so maybe maybe you know.
1: Greatest Yeah, what's yeah, that? Great, great life comment there that was really good
0: sometimes they have good weeks and sometimes they do not yeah happens all Strong the time stuff. <laughs> really well wise.
1: remember about corner though remember the other thing we talked about was whoever does play whether thomas is back right away or if it takes a few games i almost get the sense it would make sense to just rest him at least for the first two games of the year you get a bye week in week three Mm-hmm. You know, I, you, you got to think that, and again, I think Army's going to be a formidable opponent, but I also kind of think it's maybe gone a little bit too far as far as
0: <laughs> people thinking that,
1: like, Army could win. You know, I, I know they gave Oklahoma a game last year, but, I mean, that that
0: doesn't... It was in the middle of the season. It, it's, a di- it's a very different team than what Michigan has with a much worse defense. Yeah, uh, I I, so I know I know what you're saying. You know what I'm saying.
1: Like Army's yeah. going to be a challenge. I'm not saying they're not going to be a challenge, but you're getting people that like pick it that they're picking it as like a likely or like the ten likeliest non-conference upsets or something like that. You know, it's like especially though in the passing game. You know, it gives you a couple weeks to get maybe these young guys mm-hmm. real reps in a real game at a packed stadium. You know, and, and so that it's not as if, you know, you're not going to South Bend to open the year, right? And, right. I think, and even even you go to Wisconsin, I mean, who knows what their quarterback situation is right now. You know, so I don't know. I mean, it's just going to be interesting, but but I just, there's time, I think, for these the younger guys to get their feet more wet.
0: That is the one a- position I think Michigan has the most flexibility to ease players in. Because I think, right. you know, yeah, Army... Probably won't beat Michigan, but you are going to need certain position groups to do well in that game for for Michigan to be successful. Uh, next question, though. Best Michigan offensive line since blank. So I wrote a story coming out of Big Ten Media Days looking at the depth. Uh, I got to talk to Ben Bredesen extensively about this deep offensive line, the skill, I mean the fact that their second platoon is all uh, either Really, really, really coveted targets, like a Nolan Rumler type, or experienced uh, players, Ryan Hayes, Chuck Filiaga, Steven Spinellis has been in games. I'm, I, I don't, I didn't study offensive lines when I was nine and ten years old, but I, I gotta, I gotta think this is the best one since, I don't know, 2000 maybe? They had multiple draft picks.
1: you're skipping over the whole Jake Long era. I mean, there but, was but really good. Does odds. this
0: line, I don't know, how does it compare in your eyes?
1: It's a hard question. I mean, dude, that was a long time ago. But <laughs> right. I do know. I mean, for a few years there, you have Jake Long, Manning, Offset, uh, Patrick Omemma, with the Rich Even the early Rich Rile offensive line wasn't that bad. That had, a, I think, three or four pros on it. Did O'Mame Both and Long
0: line up? I thought Omame came No, Omame was an
1: actor. Okay. Sorry. That's why I, that's why I said even like one of Rich Rods' first offensive lines had Moult, had Schofield, had Milan,
0: mm-hmm.
1: had Omema. I mean all four of those guys played in the pros. Three of them are still playing in the pros.
0: Right. Right. Um Yeah, the 2011, so, 2011 line was that used to be the standard. Solid. It was a good I yeah, feel like this is a little better because, though.
1: I They could be. They could be. I'm just saying I don't I don't I don't think we want to go too far back. Mm-hmm. to say that you know, because that's, I don't know. I mean, its they're in the mix. This year's offensive line is definitely in the mix to match what some of those offensive lines in the past have done. But, again, I mean, like I said, in 11 alone, you had four pros. You know, and so, like, that's, you can't do much better than that. But have maybe five pros. You know, like.
0: Right. Uh, well, they might. Well, they know, they, they could. And and it's, you're I also. Agree. Yeah.
1: I don't know. It's, I think it's a tough it's a tough one to tackle because there's just so many nuances and stuff. But I would I, I say it's their best. It's at least since '11. Probably go. Probably though. I won't disagree. Probably going back further though.
0: Yeah, because uh, I, I I think the timing of just having the upperclassmen. I mean, have seniors, three seniors, four guys who will probably be drafted. I don't know. Not a scout. But in that interior, could you not foresee possibly all three being first or second day picks? I feel like I I could uh, the way the way Ruiz is viewed, the way Bredesen is viewed, Unwenu, a uh, lot of question you know a lot of will sees you know I'm not sure what and he's kind of a unique individual for that reason. But you know we had someone actually I I did when I did my story I. Kind of poked my head around uh, other offensive lines in the country. It is, I mean, Michigan's, it, it sounds crazy, but Michigan very feasibly has a top five offensive line this season. You know, Georgia, I think, is, is elite. Oregon is super elite. But some of the typical mainstays, Oklahoma lost four starters. Wisconsin lost four. Three and a half, four starters. I mean, this is going to be a line that, that mauls people. And it's it's deep. It's experienced. I think they've got the right coach for them and their system. Uh, that's it's a huge plus. Personal, Personally, I think it's the best position group Michigan has. I know some people are high on the receivers or other groups, quarterbacks. But to me, that's why I brought it up. I don't actually know what the answer is, but... Uh, Try to try to frame frame it a different way. Uh, last question, and you know we you know Steve and I love to do this. Let's talk special teams, special teams position battles. Um, I I I surprised Steve because I actually I had Brandon Cornblue on my sh- uh, on the radio show last week, and he he thinks that there really could be a a battle at punter. I know Will Hart just won Big Ten Punter of the Year. Brad Robbins did not look good as a true freshman. But I will say, I did the research last year when I was previewing Brad Robbins' season. A lot of the best punters in the country, if you go look at who has the most punting yards per average, on average, a lot of them really struggled their first year. Most of them didn't even play their first year. Most of them redshirted. But a lot of them really struggle... So if he comes back healthy, I think he's done a done a couple camps or events and has 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 convinced some in the in the special teams community there could be a battle. Um, I could see them also just saying, "Well, it's Will Hart's job until he loses it," uh, and then Quinn Nordine versus versus Jake Moody. That's the big interesting one. No, I think the They've. I think it's been oversimplified because I think both of them are good at the other things, but Moody's been labeled the reliable one. Nordine's the big-legged, emotional one, uh, maybe with a higher ceiling but more inconsistency. Interested to see how that goes. And then return game, they can probably put anybody out there with the new touchback rules. It's not quite a big thing, but I would guess that they give it to Ronnie Bell and Mike Sainer still gets some run too. Uh, But I think Ambry, well, obviously if he's not healthy, he's not healthy too. But I think they're going to try to give it to guys who aren't playing 70 snaps a game or aren't expected to play 70 snaps a game. So I would guess Bell or Sainer still. Any thoughts on the special teams? Seems like they're in a good spot. I think this is a a very good special teams unit that Michigan has.
1: They're in a great spot. I mean, you bring back a lot of guys that were already on the unit last year, coverage units which are super important. You know, that's that's one of the – it's just never talked about, and I say every year that it's never talked about, but you can talk about winning the battle of field – the field position battle. You know, that's why – I, just, I don't see why you go away from Donovan Peoples Jones at punt returner. Uh, he led the Big Ten in Oh, I didn't
0: mention that. Year. He's 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 got to be solid with what he.
1: Right. He even though if, even if he's playing like a lot, I mean, he's just he's a veteran back there now. I mean, you got to play him in that. Uh, you got to play him in that spot. Like I said, he led the conference last year in average. I'm not sure if he led in yards, but I I'm betting he did. If he led average. He
0: yeah um, he did because right. yeah, Michigan's defense forced also a forced a lot of punts. Yeah.
1: Right. So. You know, you have you have him there, and you know punter again. I mean, here's the thing: if you have a battle at punter and at kicker with what you got last year out of Hart and Moody, then that's a great. That can only mean a good thing. I mean, it's if Will or if, uh, if Brad Robbins is challenging Will Hart, that's a best case scenario for Michigan. For what it's How worth,
0: for what it's worth, yeah. I don't know that he officially is. That is could, just I mean, some skepticism. Yeah.
1: Right, but either way, but we we do know with Moody and Nordine though mm-hmm. that 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 that's a legit.
0: Yeah, how many teams? Back. How many teams in the Big Ten would take either one of them as their starting kicker right now?
1: Right, absolutely. Eleven, and it is it's a, it is a pick your poison. You know, I think Moody's got a better foot than I think people maybe realize. Yeah, I, and I think
0: Nordine's more reliable than people think. Right. I mean, they they saw him. Yeah. Not enough time for that argument, but no,
1: I know I agree.
0: They both were number one ranked kickers in Corn Blue's Fab Fifty rankings, and well, there go. and well, a lot of number one kickers have gone on to the NFL, or top tier kickers in in his rankings.
1: Yeah, I mean there you go. So I, I just it should be one of the best special teams units in the country, and it, the, the the trick is you know and this is where it gets a little maybe dicey you know depending on who wins let's say the kicker battle you got to you you want the other guy to stay in case the one starts to struggle but it's it'd be difficult though like if you're Nordine let's say Moody wins the battle i mean if you're Nordine like we said there'd be a ton of teams just in the big ten alone that would take him wouldn't you leave if you were him
0: sure would try that's where the that's you, where the one-year I mean? thing gets a little...
1: Right, right. Yeah. But still, I mean, it's and so um, even though it is a good problem to have, there's still pressure to pick the right guy because you may alienate the other guy. And again, if I was in that position, I think, you know, I, I'd say, okay, it was a good battle, but I want to play. If I'm that close to playing here, then I could definitely play somewhere else. So mm-hmm. why would I just not go to play? How am I ever going to get to show my abilities? You know? Right. And... Uh, so yeah, so it's interesting. But again, there's like all odds are that they should have one of the better special teams units overall, like in the country and should win the field position battle more often than not, I would think. Uh especially if the off you know, obviously part of that's dependent on how often the offenses move in the chains, but you know, it's still all at the same time, you have a all conference punter, all American level punter. Mm-hmm. And you have a great punt and you have the best punt returner in the conference coming back. I think those are two huge things that you can hang your hat on. I mean, we always, I always talk about how I thought the biggest thing, I just could never believe that nobody talked about the value that Jabril Peppers provided from a punt return standpoint and that he would save 15, 20 yards by just getting to a ball that was punted right, and not letting it bounce.
0: Hard to punt like away from. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so, and, and I think Peoples-Jones is in that same category. Now, I don't know if he's quite as adept as Jabril is, and maybe he will be this year, but you just can't measure that. You can't overstate how valuable that type of those small things like that are. So, you know, I don't know. But, yeah, overall, those special teams-wise, regardless of who wins any of these battles, that should be one of the best units out there.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, those were our eight questions. Obviously, there'll be a lot more. There's stuff about the quarterback. There's stuff about how they're going to do as a team this season. But those are those are eight that were on our minds as we kind of entered the coverage component of fall camp. Because they, they went dark for a few days. Now they're available. We had uh, Brown and Gaddis yesterday. We'll have players Friday. Harbaugh next Tuesday. And, and then we're off. And it's every couple days we'll, we'll hear more and more about this team. But uh, hopefully you enjoyed the podcast. Check out all of our stuff at the themichiganinsider.com and michigan.247sports.com. I'm Zach Shaw for Steve Lorenz. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll see you next time.